Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. We're all getting ready for the big game coming up on Super Bowl Sunday. And while we sit there and think about this, the teams are thinking about something else. Kevin Bryant, the author of Spies on the Sideline, the high-stakes world of NFL espionage, comes in to share with us some championship game espionage in pro football. And I think you're going to enjoy it. From the 1958 greatest game ever played to the Super Bowls we've had in the past few years, you can sure find a great story from Kevin and his great book. Kevin joins us in a moment to tell us all about it. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome back to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome back to some great interview sessions that we have here for 2023. Uh, we've taken a little hiatus from doing that. And, and uh, now we have one of our friends coming back here, Kevin Bryant, who wrote the book Spies on the Sideline. We had him on a few months ago to talk about that great book. And he's got some aspects that are more relative to the era that we're in right now with some uh, football championships especially the NFL. Uh, Kevin, welcome back to the Pigpen. Hi, Darren. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, Kevin, uh, if you could, why don't you give us the full title of your book and where folks can expect to find it? Yeah, so it's Spies on the Sidelines, The High Stakes World of NFL Espionage. And it is out in hardback copy, um, e- you know, ebook and audiobook, and you can find it pretty much anywhere that books are available online. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Walmart. Um, yeah, you name it, it's out there. You can go to my website, uh, spiesonthesidelines.com, and it's got I've got my full listing of, you know, all the areas you can grab it, more info about the book, as well as all my social media handles. Okay. And you your your publisher on that too. We'll give them some uh, call out here too. Right. So yeah, it's published through Roman and Littlefield, um, who's been very, very good to me. I've been very happy with them. So good publishing, uh, mid-level publishing company. And um, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, everybody out there in the, the football world is familiar with them. They have a lot of great books coming out, including yours. So uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're familiar with them. So how you uh, contacted me and you wanted to talk a little bit about s- some of these uh, spies and espionage and Super Bowl games and before the Super Bowl, some NFL championship games. And uh love to hear about some of these great stories from the book. Yeah, you know, I figured, I mean, we, you know, we're in the playoffs now and obviously the Super Bowls, Super Bowls in the, you know, not so distant future. And I thought, you know, the one thing I saw doing the research for my book is that 
I mean, teams are involved in, you know, trying to gather information on their opponents all year round, obviously trying to get that advantage game to game. But, you know, especially once you get into the playoffs and for the Super Bowl, there's so much incentive to win that big game once you get there. And the other thing is, you know, during the, during the season, teams don't have a lot of extra time. Um, you know, they, they got a week between games and pretty much every single minute of a coach coach's life is scripted. You know, they know what they're going to be doing between those certain hours. Well, during Super Bowl week or the super, you know, right before the Super Bowl, you've got a two week break, which means that coaches have a whole extra week to do something with it. So two things take place. One, teams insert new plays because they want to catch their opponent off guard with something new, right? But likewise, teams hate being caught off guard by their opponents. So what do they do? They try to figure out what their other team's going to be up to. And there's only one way to get that done. And that is through, you know, spying on your other teams, spying on your opponent's practices and trying to figure out what they're planning for. So, you know, I think that that leads right into my first story. And this is the earliest story I have of a... NFL Super Bowl being impacted by spying. So it's 1958, and we've got the Baltimore Colts going up against the New York Giants. And these are two powerhouse teams with, you know, obviously great coaches and great teams, uh, great players going in there. So Bob Shaw, who's an assistant coach for the Colts, he gets approached by Weeb Ubank. And Weeb Ubank is one of those guys. He, you know, he's a Bill Belichick before, you know, before Belichick was around, right? He's he's a guy who's willing to stretch the boundaries of what's, you know, a fair play. So Weeb Ubank approaches Bob Shaw and says, Hey, hey Bob, what I'd like you to do is go spy on a Giants practice leading up to the game. And Bob's like, ah, you know, we, I, I don't really feel comfortable about this. Okay. And he's kind of, he's hemming and hawing. So Carol Rosenblum, who is the owner of the Colts, approaches Bob next. He says, Bob, we really need you to do this thing. And, you know, Bob expresses, of course, you know, he's going through oh, all these concerns and whatnot and says, look, Carol says, look, here's what I'm going to do, Bob. If the NFL finds out about all this and bans you from the NFL, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get you a job. Okay. Maybe it's outside of professional football, but I'm one of the richest men in America, one of the richest men in America, and I will find you a job. I will take care of you. And so, you know, Bob at this point, he doesn't really want to do it, but he knows he's kind of feels pressured to do it. Furthermore, he knows that Carol Rosenblum as an owner is one of those guys he doesn't deal with people that oppose him very well. Okay. If you get on Carol Rosenblum's, Rosenblum's bad side, you're looking for a new job. Okay. So Bob says, yeah, okay, I'll go do it. So what he does is he goes up um, a whole flight, you know, all these stairs to get on top of this, on the roof of this big building that overlooks the Giants uh, practice facility. And he's scared as anything that the Giants security team, um, is going to spot him because, of course, you know, they've got they've got guards and whatnot that are looking out for spies um, like most teams have have by this point um, in the NFL's history. 
And, you know, luckily he gets away with all of it. And really, he doesn't see much this that's news. And, you know, that you could say, well, you know, that just goes to show that often it's not even advantageous to spy on another team. But really it is. Because once a team knows that, hey, they're not changing, you know, they're not changing what they did in the regular season or what we've already seen, it gives that coach, you know, they know, they know what to prepare for then. Oh, okay, we know what they're going to do. We're going to prepare for this. They're not throwing in trick plays. We don't have to worry about that. We can just worry about executing what, we, what we've already seen on film, which is a big advantage. And that's the advantage that Bob Shaw was able to give the Colts for what was known, what became known as the greatest game ever played, which went into overtime and was decided by the absolute thinnest of margins. Um, and so, you know, just a little advantage, like what Bob Shaw was able to give the Colts could have absolutely been the difference between winning or losing because, um, you know, there's only so much time in a day and for a coach to know to for him to know how he needs to use his time and prepare for an opponent is, is a, you know, that's, that's a big advantage. Yeah, it certainly is. And that's probably the most famous pre-Super Bowl game in the NFL. Uh, there is, you know, the greatest game ever played 1958 right. championship. So yeah, you know, maybe it wouldn't even reach that status if he hadn't done that. Cause maybe, Without that advantage, maybe the game would have been uh, not gone to overtime. You know, maybe it would have had a different outcome altogether. And so, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they knew it was going to be a super close game going into it. They played. They played during the regular season. It was a three point difference. Um, they played both of those games. You know, in the in the Giants' um, home stadium. So, you know, the Colts were just looking going into that game, looking for how do we how do we make up that three points. And this, you know, this is, this is how they did it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> a great, great story. Great story. So what what else you have on some of these big games? Yeah. So I've got one uh, pretty interesting story, I think on um, it's an AFL championship game. This is for a 1970 game, AFL championship game between the chiefs and the Raiders. So, so this is a game to see who would go to the Super Bowl. This is a game. No, so this is an AFC championship game. This is an AFL championship game. Back before the team, be back before the leagues merged, right? Right. Yeah. So, but they were they were still playing a common Super Bowl. Yeah. This has been what Super right, Bowl? Right. Yes. Yes. Super Bowl five, maybe Super yes. Bowl four, somewhere in there. Okay. Yep. So, um, you've got Al Davis of the Raiders going up against Hank Stram. In the Chiefs, okay, and Hank Stram's staying in in a hotel um, prior to the game when he gets a phone call at the hotel, and it's from a fan who, or at least an alleged fan of the Chiefs, who says, "Hey, I was sitting in this restaurant, and Daryl Lamonica, the Raiders quarterback, was at the table next to me, and they were drawing. He was drawing plays on a placemat, and when he left." I grabbed that placemat and I've got it here with me and I want to bring it to you. And Hank Stram was like, Whoa, okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Swing by the hotel. Okay. So he has that conversation now with him in the room when he is talking was Monsignor Mackey. And he is the chief's 
unofficial clergyman. And so Monsignor Mackey says to Stram, he's like, hey, I don't think you should be the one to take this um, from, you know, from this guy, from this fan. Because we're talking about, you know, we're, you're going up against the Raiders. One, this could be a trick. It could be Al Davis trying to get you in trouble with the league. Or, you know, or at best, it's probably just a bunch of, you know, fake information that Al Davis is having sent over to you to have you waste your time. Okay. So Hank Stram's like, yeah, you know, you're right. You know, Al Davis, you know, every, everybody in the league suspects Al Davis of just about everything that's humanly possible. So they're like, yeah. So, uh, so Hank Stram says, you know what? You're right. And therefore you should be the one that answered the door, uh, Monsignor Mackey. And he's like, whoa, 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 that's not, you know, that's not what I meant. You know, I, I, you know, I'm a clergyman, you know, blah, 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 blah. But anyways, he talks, he talks, uh, he talks the Monsignor into doing it. So he answers the door and they get the, they get the paperwork. Um, they get the placemat, hand the guy some, uh, super, some, you know, AFL championship tickets and on they go. And so they assess what's on this placemat. And what it looks like is it's the Raiders top receiver lining up in a few plays in the slot where he hasn't been used all year long. And so they're like, huh? Well, the one they, they can look just by looking at these plays, they realize this is a professional that drew these, right? This is someone who knows football. There's no doubt about that. So it's either, you know, it, it looks legitimate, but you never know. So Hank Stram calls his chief, his, uh, his coach's assistants together and has a little powwow and says, hey, this is what I got. Defensive coordinator, I need you to be prepared for this. Okay. And lo and behold, in that game, yeah, that's what the Raiders did. Um, at one point in the second half, they moved, they moved their top receiver over to the slot, hadn't been done all season, and the Chiefs were ready for it, which, which helped um, because the Raiders were a huge favorite going into the game. They had destroyed the Chiefs in the regular season, they had destroyed their last opponent in the playoffs. They were, I mean, it was like they, they were huge, huge favorites. And the Chiefs managed to pull out the upset. Um, and so, um, you know, little, tri you know, was it what made the difference? You know, probably not. But did it help? Absolutely. And a lot of times, you know, it's just a team feeling comfortable. And if a team throws you, if an opponent throws you a wrinkle that you're like not expecting, man, it could throw you off your game real quick. And we've all seen how quick a game can change with just one play. You know, one quick strike throw and there's a touchdown and the whole momentum of the game absolutely changes. And so, you know, just by being comfortable with seeing this and knowing what was about to happen, that that cornerback just goes, oh, yeah, I know what you're doing. I, I got this. OK, we're ready for this. I, I'm good. I'm good. As opposed to, you know, oh, holy cow, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? You know, and uh, so, yeah, it helps. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things I, you know, the coaches are always, that's their strategy at any level of football. You're, you're trying to put your team in an advantageous uh, position and the element of surprise is like you said, that's, that's a tremendous advantage uh, when you have, you can do that, you know, throwing a wrinkle they've never seen before. And right. the second thing, you know, this, this helps build into that, that lore on that rivalry between the chiefs and the Raiders that still exist today when they got to play each other twice, a, twice a year. So uh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a great yeah. story. I never heard that one before. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. 
So, so you you want the next one here? Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's fast forward into the next one. Okay, so I'm going to fast forward a lot of years here. We're going to go all the way to 2002. So, oh my god, we're the, we're uh, really time warping. Yeah, we're time warping here. So, <laughs> you know, everybody I think is aware. You know, after Spygate went on with the Patriots and all that kind of stuff, um, there were a lot of allegations that were thrown out. Um, about what the Patriots were potentially doing to gather information, right? Beyond just recording opponent signals. One of the things that the Patriots were accused of was potentially spying on opponents' practices, okay? And no one had, but no one had the proof, okay? So years after Spygate happened, Matt Walsh came forward, who was a you know former Patriots videographer, and he said, hey, I've got something the NFL needs to see. And everyone's convinced that, hey, it's going to, it's, this is the smoking gun we've been waiting for. And this is going to be the thing that, you know, puts the nail in the coffin on the Patriots and all their spying, spying activities. So he wants to set up a meeting with Roger Goodell. And after much drama, it finally, and a bunch of time that goes by, it finally happens. Okay. Goodell comes out of the meeting and basically says, yeah, there was nothing that was, there was nothing of interest there. Um, other than, you know, there's this one little thing where, you know, the Patriots happened to be at a practice before, um, you know, before a Super Bowl game, but you know, the Rams were aware of it and it's, it's nothing. That's it. You know, case closed. Hmm. Well, yes and no. Um, <laughs> so what happened was, okay. The Patriots and the Rams both practiced at the Super Bowl facility the the day before the game, okay? They did their walkthrough, right? Like teams typically do, right? They just want to, you know, coaches want to have the players used to the facility where they're going to be playing at. You know, they want them to have seen it before game day. So the Patriots hold their practice first. The Rams go right after them. All the Patriots staff leaves the, the, the you know, the stadium or at least the, the practice field area except for a couple of videographers. Now, those videographers don't film anything, but they're sitting there in the stands um, when the Rams hold their walkthrough practice. Now, what the Patriots and Bill Belichick really wanted to know leading up to this game was, how was the Rams star running back Marshall Falk going to be used for the game? Okay, because he's the X factor, right? He's a superstar. And the Rams threw a couple wrinkles that hadn't been used all season. One, they were going to use Marshall Falk to return some kickoffs. And two, they were going to throw the ball um, into the flat to Marshall Falk and give him some room to run. Um, furthermore, they had some goal line, some goal, specific goal line plays that they had designed. And the Patriots videographers saw all of this. Okay. And they go back after the game. And one of them basically gives a debrief to the Patriots defensive coordinator and says, Hey, this is what I saw. You want to know how Marshall Fox is going to be used? I can tell you exactly how he's going to be used and what they're doing. And as a result, the Patriots go out and pull a huge upset over, over the Rams, you know, beating the, you know, what was known as the greatest show on turf with, you know, Kurt Warner, who was in his prime at the time. You've got Marshall Fox. You've got just elite receivers. Um, you know, I, I mean, you've got Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer on that offense, um, as well as a fantastic defense that the Rams had that year. 
Um, so it was a major, major upset. And um, yeah, a lot of that just came down to the Patriots knew what was what was coming and what the Rams were going to throw at them on offense. I mean, they played well um, and, and hats off to the to the Patriots for that. Um, but they absolutely had spies there um, watching that practice. Now, should the Rams have kicked them out when they saw them? Because they did. They, they knew that those videographers were there. Um, yes, they should have. And that was absolutely on the Rams. Having said that, the Patriots have a long history of leaving people behind to watch practices. This has even gone on with Bill Belichick's son, who's an assistant on the team, who opponents have caught lingering behind during similar situations for games and have kindly asked him to move along because they know exactly what he's doing there. Okay. <laughs> so this isn't, this isn't, it wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't a coincidence. This is something that the Patriots plan on. This is something they execute as part of their spying strategy going into games. <laughs> yeah, did, didn't they have uh, some incident uh, with former Jets coach uh, Eric Mangini? He a similar situation where somebody was up in the booth filming a practice or something. I think. Yeah, so that was the whole. That after. was all a Spygate, where um, yeah. you know, I mean, so Spygate. Really, what we think of a Spygate, the the Patriots taping the signals, primarily defensive signals of their opponents, went on all the way from the preseason of two thousand all the way up to week one of 2006. Now, having said that, there really was no rule against it until the 2005 season. When the Patriots were caught doing it, teams started complaining, and the league issued a, a memo. It wasn't even a rule. It was a memo saying, hey, you can't do this. Like, And then the Patriots got caught doing it again, and the league for a second time issued another memo, okay? And at that point, everybody's pretty fed up with the Patriots. They're also pretty fed up with the league for not really cracking down on the Patriots because when the league sends out their memo to everyone, well, the entire league know who that's aimed at. It's the Patriots. And they're like, okay, we need you as a league to step in and do something about this. But who really wants to punish all these guys that are winning Super Bowl year after year after year and create this scandal. So when Eric Mangini, who used to work on the Patriots staff, goes to the is with the Jets, he knows what Bill Belichick's about to do. He knows how they operate. And he calls up Belichick before the game and he says, Hey, you're not doing this against us. Okay. And Belichick and his hubris decides to, you know what? We're going to do it anyway. And so they're recording the defensive signals of the Jets during the game. What Belichick doesn't know is that the Jets security staff is prepared for this. And they are spying on that person because they know how the whole thing operates. Eric Mangini does, right? And so they allow him enough time to basically to allow the videographer to be able to, you know, to hang himself, essentially. You know, they, they, they allow them to film for a good long while to get enough evidence to turn into the NFL. And then they have this security team detain the person while NFL security um, is summoned. And then 
it goes from there. But the Jets really forced the league's hand because they realized the league's not going to do anything unless they are caught red-handed with evidence to be able to turn over. And that's that's what the Jets did. They they set them up beautifully. <laughs> well, great, great stuff on that. Uh, you know, tremendous. Now, of course, uh, folks, we're, we are listening to uh, Kevin Bryant, author of Spies on the Sideline, a great book on NFL espionage and uh, some great stories he has from that book. Uh, he, Kevin has uh, told us where you can pick it up, and we'll, we'll talk about that again here in a moment. So, Kevin, um, where, where has uh, the NFL gone to prevent some of this from happening? Uh, you know, since 2002 and, you know, you talked back in 1958, there was some spying. The NFL as an organization, as a league, but what are they doing to try to prevent uh, further happenings of this? Yeah, so you've got a wide variety of measures being used. So, um, so for instance, when you talk about like taping signals, so you the you know the NFL instituted um the use of headset communication between um you know it, at the time of Spygate it was just between the quarterback and the offensive coordinator but they said you know what okay we obviously need communication too between the defensive coordinator and a defensive player so that we can make sure that um this type of stuff doesn't happen well you know it still does but not as much now that you have that communication um so the league does at times come up with rules um there was a lot of fear over the use of listening devices in locker rooms or even potentially on and around the field and so the league has rules now about you know that type of stuff as well um not using not being able to use electronic equipment in the locker rooms or around the fields between you know certain hours before, during, after games, all of that nonsense. Having said that, um, other than uh, communication headset tampering, um, which the league does have a independent um, company uh, try to verify and make sure that, you know, teams aren't, they can't intercept communications and they can't tamper with or block communications of other teams, um, which I believe still goes on. And I, I talk about that in the book, um, <laughs> but um, you know, for the most part, other than those um, measures, the NFL really lives, leaves it up to teams to protect themselves. So how do teams go about, let's say prevent spying on a practice before the game. Okay. Um, you know, teams have a whole variety of measures, but it's tough before the Super Bowl because you know, that whole week before the game, you're not at your home facility where you have everything set up. You've got your fencing how you want it. You've got your security guards. You know how everything's going to work, right? Um, you know, everything's just perfect for you. But when you go to an away facility, um, you know, you may be practicing at a college that doesn't have the security that an NFL team would have. You know, they don't have the big, the big, um, you know, fencing or screening necessarily. There may be buildings, especially on college campuses. There's all these campus buildings, you know, libraries and dorm rooms that overlook the field. And how do you prevent um, spies from being up in any of those locations? Um, it's tough. It's difficult. So teams have to get really creative. So, um, you know, here's an example of how far that can go. For the 1998 Super Bowl between the Broncos and the Packers, Denver's coach Mike Shanahan was really concerned about 
his practice field in San Diego that there was this big hill overlooking the field. And, and Shanahan was just like, man, I don't like the, this. I don't like this hill at all. Like there, there's going to be, if, if I'm the Packers, this is where I'm putting a spy. So what he does is he goes out and he hires 18 Navy SEALs to secure the hill. Okay. <laughs> Which, you know, just sounds ridiculous. Um, but, it, you know, coaches are so paranoid that even, um, when a helicopter flew over the field, um, Pat Bolin, the late Pat Bolin, the former Broncos owner, said, and, and you know, he said, uh, and this is a quote, he said, Mike went crazy. I think he expected one of these guys to shoot a SAM missile at it and knock it out of the air, um, <laughs> you know, um, because, you know, even Navy SEALs can't protect, you know, the from everything you know how do you guard against a plane or a helicopter flying over which is that's a concern you know it was a concern today it's mostly drones you know that are um that are the big scare but um you know it just goes to show how far coaches will go and and how paranoid they are especially before the super bowl yeah now you bring up an interesting point now uh, just for the listeners uh we are recording this in between a wild card weekend and a divisional round uh, so we don't know who's going to be in the afc and nfc championship but this year uh because of the uh demar uh, hamlin uh situation his emergency he had that that game being uh eradicated from from being the records we may have a neutral site AFC championship game if it's against the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, a Super Bowl, those security teams for each team has two weeks to prepare in a stadium that they know where they're going to be playing. Right now, we know where the Super Bowl is going to be played. Right. This AFC championship game that could be at a neutral field, we really don't know much about it. The, the teams may know where the field is. I, th- I think they did choose Atlanta, uh, if I'm not mistaken. At the yes, Georgia you are correct. Yep. Um, but, you know, the teams, I'm sure they're not thinking about that or sending things down now, you know, two weeks before this game. They're, uh, you know, they basically have less than a week to get all their security measures and everything else. In. And both teams have to do this just like a Super Bowl, but time's cut in half. H- how do you find that? Do you find that kind of interesting as far as uh, spying and espionage? Absolutely. And I'll give you a good example from this season of why teams have to be concerned, right? So during, I think it was like week three, week four, I can't remember. Don't quote me on the week. Okay. But it was, it was a Florida team. I'm pretty sure it's the Dolphins. Okay. They have a game, an upcoming game against the Cleveland Browns. I believe it was. Okay. Now the game's going to be in Cleveland. So um, but, uh, Florida gets slammed with a hurricane and the dolphins end up moving their practice location up to Cleveland because they're going, you know, Hey, we're not gonna be able to practice with the hurricane, with everything that's involved with the hurricane going on. So we're just going to go up there early and we're going to go practice up there early. So they do. And they go to a college and they train at the college. Well, during the walkthrough practice before the game, there is somebody at this practice facility who records a good chunk of the walkthrough and then puts the video out on social media. Hmm. Okay. And it's out there 
and everybody knows it's out there and it's in the national news. Okay. And anybody can go and see this thing. And, you know, the team, you know, the dolphins are trying to get it taken off and that, you know, social media and everything. And it gets put on a, another, you know, on the Browns, a, a fan website. And they asked the fan website to take it down. The fan, you know, on the Browns fan website, it's like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. No, <laughs> you know, this helps the Browns. Yeah, we're good with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so it just goes to show, like, it's a concern, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're practicing at another facility, especially if it's in enemy territory, it's a huge concern. And furthermore, you got to be worried. You got to be worried about the practice field. You got to be worried about the hotels. Okay. These hotels, who are the staff fans of, you know, who are they loyal to? Because if you're playing, especially in enemy territory, okay. Um, it's not that, you know, it sounds far-fetched, but it, I tell you, I, you know, having worked for the Department of Defense for 20 plus years of securing information and procuring information, I'll tell you, this is not far-fetched, okay? Going into, you know, getting a hotel employee to be able to get you paperwork out of a room, whether it's out of trash cans, whether it's out of, you know, suitcases, whether it's out of the safe, it doesn't matter. It can all happen, okay? It is not that, it really isn't that difficult to make it happen, okay? So yeah, all of that is a, it's it's a legitimate concern that teams have to be concerned of. And I, I will tell you, you know, it, it was a couple of years ago here in Atlanta for college football where two, two different bowl games were played in Atlanta and back-to-back weeks. And for back-to-back weeks, SEC teams playing in those bowl games had their computers or paperwork um, stolen or attempted. One was an attempted theft. The guy was actually seen in the act trying to do it, and the team stopped the guy. Um, but someone came in there and tried to steal, you know, college football material Um to try to get an advantage. And since it happened both occasions, you know, before bowl games, which it, you know, makes me believe it's not the opponent trying to do this. This is an sec opponent. And when you're talking about a computer, I mean, you get playbooks, you get ah, tons and tons of stuff, right? Hmm. All of this stuff is a concern. So yeah, anytime you're away and all of that information, you know, is possibly out there um, to be had. It's, you know, security, you know, coaches and security staffs have to be um, very, very leery and very wary of of that. Well, I'm sure they, they hire lots of specialists and probably a lot of folks like yourself that were in the military and, and know a lot about Intel to, to help them get through this. I'm, I'm sure that's probably a big business yeah. for uh, our retired vets. So, and so thank you for your service, yeah, by the way, too. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, the interesting part is some teams do and some teams don't. Um, you know, every team has a, you know, typically a, secu- a security officer who's a former FBI official, FBI agent. Um, and he handles a lot of the like physical security stuff. Um, but, you know, offensively, when it comes to like the collection of stuff or just like a defensive, you know, a counterintelligence specialist, you know, a lot of times that's missing. The teams that are winning Super Bowls, like a Patriots, 
Um, you know, they'll have those types of guys on staff. Uh, the teams that aren't, uh, you find a lot of times it's missing and the teams don't really know what they're doing and they're trying to do it with coaches or assistants that do it halfway to the best that they know. But, you know, um, <laughs> it's, you know, I mean, the intelligence field is obviously, it's, it's a complicated world. You know, you're dealing with a lot of stuff. You can be dealing with high technology, you know, drones, listening devices, all kinds of crazy stuff out there, surveillance operations. So to think you're going to get that done with some intern. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably not going to happen real well. So, so Kevin, why don't you, uh, let's take the opportunity. Let's, uh, again, let's tell the listeners what the name of your book is, uh, where they can get it and, uh, you know, what the best ways to find out more information is. Yeah, so um, Spies on the Sidelines, the high-stakes world of NFL espionage. You can get it everywhere that you can grab a book online pretty much. Um, Amazon is your easiest way to grab it. Like I said, you can get it all all the different forms that is out there. Um, I will say that if you grab it in, um, if you grab the audiobook copy, it's about half the price of the others. So that's a great way to do it. Um, and it's on, um, you know, Kindle and blah, blah, blah. Um, um, you can, you can grab it and you can grab that on Amazon, but, um, you know, like I said, you hit my website, it'll tell you all the different areas. You can grab it, the book in any different format that you want to grab it, uh, spiesonthesidelines.com. All right, uh, Kevin Bryant, uh, thank you very much for coming on again, sharing these great uh, big game moments, the Super Bowls and NFL championships and uh, a few things uh, in between. And uh, we really appreciate, sir, what you're doing and, and pointing out these great stories and uh, maybe preventing some uh, future theft of information from our favorite football team. So thank you very much, sir. Absolutely. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate you having me on. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that?
I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.